0: On the Empire Podcast this week, the Revenant director Alejandro G. Iñárritu and one of his stars, Donald Gleason, entered the pod booth and then exit pursued by Bear. Plus, we discussed the Oscar nominations, Creed and much, much more on the movie podcast that normally would put a joke in at this bit. But quite frankly, David Bowie and Alan Rickman are dead and I don't much feel like it. Um, Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the 194th Empire Podcast. Just six more to go into our 200th episode. To keep your ears peeled for some very special news about that I'm sure you can figure out what that means um, but yes we we're recording this on Thursday afternoon just after the Oscar nominations came out but more importantly I think uh, just after news reached us all that the great Alan Rickman uh, who is very special to us at Empire uh, as I'm sure regular listeners of the podcast will know has died at the age of 69. This comes in the same week, of course, that the great, the legendary David Bowie died also at the age of 69. Uh, If this is your first Empire podcast, this is not the regular format, but I'm going to change it up a bit uh, for long-time listeners. Normally we have uh, a question of the week sent in by someone uh, via Twitter. I'm not going to do that. Instead, uh, we're going to talk about Alan Rickman and David Bowie, their great careers, their great lives, and what they mean to us, and then we're going to get on with the regular podcast. But here today to join me to talk about David Bowie, Alan Rickman, the Oscars, and all sorts of other stuff, Uh, our art house guru, Phil Desemlin. hello. Hi Chris. Uh, Our Jurassic World expert and indeed star, Nick Desemlin. Greetings, hello. At a Golden Globes guru our award season specialist, Emma Thrower. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you, Chris?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I could be better.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll
0: be honest. Uh, but that, that's let's that's, that's start with uh, Alan Rickman. I think this one uh, and David Bowie. This is this has knocked us all for six. Uh, Rickman in particular, I think, because it's, it feels so fresh and unexpected. Uh, it happened about half an hour, 45 minutes or so, before we were, we were due to uh, cover the Oscar nominations. Let's that's just, that's just talk about Alan Rickman for a little bit. Uh, and what, what that guy meant to us uh, Your favourite Alan Rickman performance Let's get it out there, you know mine Let's talk about someone else's, Emma
1: it's, I think, you know, as the younger person on the team I'm not saying it's my favourite But for me, naturally, I grew up with the Harry Potter series It's really hard not to, you know I was born the year Die Hard came out So as much as I love him in that For me, he's always going to be Snape yeah, that's that's natural.
0: I can, mean, can we have a moratorium? People be in this pod booth if they were born the year the Die Hard came out. This is really, <laughs> really making me feel old. Um, I, re- I remember seeing Die Hard in the VHS, which is a thing that you—it was a tape. Yeah, that You yeah. put into no, a, I've, a big machine. I've definitely got some
1: VHSs that okay. Adam Rickman was on. Um, yeah, and growing up with you know Robin Hood and mm-hmm. loads of things like this, it is actually really difficult to choose a favorite. And I think that's what's so great, and you know what I'm so thankful for is that. You know, there's so much to celebrate. Um, even the little things like the butler recently was him Ronald Reagan, he would just always be like the the best thing. He would always always stand out. He's Alan Rickman, man. I mean, I I'm actually speechless. I don't I don't know what to say.
2: He did have a knack for being very watchable in things that were otherwise terrible.
1: Absolutely. I was
2: just gonna uh, as witness to that gambit. Um <laughs> yeah, he yeah. played Shabindar, a man who for some reason was allergic to wearing trousers. And uh he was hilarious. The film itself was a bit of a train wreck, um, but he made it... He gave you reasons to tune into anything, I think. I don't think there's a film that he was in that I wouldn't sit down and watch at all.
0: Yeah. He, he was phenomenal. Uh, you wouldn't think of Alan Rickman as Ronald Reagan, would you? Not really. No. But he, no. Was, he, was, he was great.
1: So good in that.
0: Uh, what's your favourite performance,
2: Phil? Um, well, there's the obvious ones. Um, obviously, you know... Die Hard and, and Prince of Thieves, but I really... I You kind of think of him as someone who could... He was he could be incredibly withering. His eyebrows could outperform virtually everyone else in a mm-hmm. scene. Um, raise one and, you know, you'd be basically uh, uh, sort of put in your place. He was known for being kind of incredibly elegantly sardonic, I guess. Smart, reined in, but he was also really very funny. Um, great comic timing. His line readings were... He brought stuff to, you know, you can't imagine what it would look like on the page because it's just an Alan Rickman line. Uh, I think Galaxy Quest combines all of his gifts because he's a character who's kind of, it's funny, but he's kind of just playing it very straight. So you can see a typical Alan Rickman performance in there, but it's also just a little heightened and a little kind of... uh, zaniard zaniard it's not a word it is now (laughs) now. um he's just so perfectly cast in that role as you know an actor who's just a bit dismissive of the world around him and eventually discovers that you know he's as much a part of it as anyone else um i love that movie it's very very funny and he is great in it and i think it shows a lot of his range it's probably an unlikely choice because he's done worthier things obviously but yeah yeah. um, i really like i also really love him in bob roberts uh, and he plays a kind of a political svengali um, who is hidden behind dark glasses throughout and, again, has that kind of haughty, withering quality. Um, and and it, it's it's a quasi-comedy, I guess. It's got some serious points in it, but he he brings um, so much to every scene. He, he, he's one of those actors that you watch a film and you just wish he was in it a bit more, even at the detriment of the movie.
0: I don't think having Alan Rickman in a movie more would be to the detriment of that
2: movie, No, to be honest. True, uh, true but it's called Bob Roberts. It's not called... Um, you know, I can't remember the name of his character. Alan Rickman's one. character, <laughs> Alan Lucas, Lucas
3: Hard the third. Exactly, <laughs> should have been called that.
2: He is really, really good in that. Check that one out. Yep. That would be a sort of a, a deeper cut.
3: Well, you guys have mentioned the three that I was going to bring up. Obviously, Die Hard, which for me is probably that, and um, Galaxy Quest, and Prince of Thieves. I think I love him in Galaxy Quest particularly because he's never better than when surrounded by stupidity and just that withering look that he gives everyone, which we got a taste of last yes. year when he came into this room <laughs> and did the podcast with us, and Phil and I got a bit at <laughs> asked him about Die Hard, um, which he never particularly enjoyed talking about for some reason. But um, he is magnificent in that film, and I've got a feeling you're probably going to talk about that, Chris.
0: I, I feel I've talked about Die Hard an awful lot on the uh, podcast and, and what Alan Rickman means to me and what Hans Gruber means to me. I think he's the greatest screen villain of all time. You know, and I've I've talked about that in the past. I think there's an amazing he has this amazing ability to be this, but let you in on the joke as well, but also have find a little bit of the grace notes within a character and find the humanity within a character enough not to make you feel for them necessarily or not to pardon their despicable acts. I mean calling off Christmas and and shooting business Japanese businessmen in the head, these are these are bad people. Sheriff of Nottingham and Hans Gruber, these are not good people. Severus Snape is not a good person. Um, but there's enough about them to make you root for him. And uh, you know, I'm very I'm, I'm envious of you guys, uh, Phil and Nick, because you got to meet him last year. You got to do him. Mm-hmm. On the, uh, you got to talk to him on the podcast for Little Chaos, which was the last movie he directed. Uh, I remember a few years ago, James Dyer and I, the probably the biggest diehard fans. At Empire. I mean die-hard fans. We are die-hard, die-hard mm. fans. And he came to the Empire Awards, was it 2005? 2005. 2005. And uh, we were sitting in a room, James and I, and Alan Rickman walked in, and there was a big dinner table, and he started going around and eating, you know, gathering up canapes for his plate. In a sinister and, fashion. In a sinister fashion, yeah. And you're just waiting for like 12 very nicely dressed uh, German henchmen to, to follow the step behind him. And we just sat there, <laughs> and you know, neither of us had the courage to go up to him and go... We loved you and Die Hard because we kind of felt that we might get a withering response to put down. Yeah. But instead all we did was we just sat there and quoted Hans Gruber lines under our breath. I mm. remember
3: Quentin Tarantino was there as well that night and he got excited about, about Ritman and he was quoting Die Hard at one point as well. Wow. So I it, think everyone, if you are into movies, you know, you love that performance.
2: He he's such a phenomenal screen villain in that movie, you're right. But it must be weird for him because that was his breakthrough role. He'd been on Broadway with Dangerous Liaisons and, and, that, and that had kind of brought him to the attention of Hollywood. And that was his first major role. And what a major role to start off with. But I guess from there on, you must feel a little tethered. Like, a, you know, you can keep moving away from it, but you keep, you know, pinging back because everybody wanted to talk to him about that movie. But when we sat here and chatted to him on the podcast last year, he, he took it in very good grace.
3: It really did. He did. Yeah, he talked about that, that final Gruber shot of his face that amazing expression he does as he falls and yeah. he actually fell 25 feet onto a real airbag like mm. did the did the drop properly so that's how they got that effect but it's an amazing
0: shot and the classic story is of course as well and they didn't they said we're going to drop you on the count of three one two three and they actually they dropped him on one (laughs) which is why he looks so surprised uh, because I would I'd look surprised as well but there is something about that it's like if you're a great musician and you produce an astonishing debut album as a classic then people will want to talk to you about it and your first movie your first role is (laughs) in my opinion the greatest screen villain of all time forget your Hannibal Lecter's forget your your Darth Vader's or your Kylo Ren's if you're a you know a newfangled star warsy person uh it's hans gruber for me and when you when you produce that first time out then yes people will want to talk to you about it but he didn't want to disown it i don't think yeah. a few years ago die hard screened at the uh, at the Somerset house as part of the film for summer screen series and he was there to introduce it and which i think surprised everybody uh just you know a ripple of disbelief it's like oh hans gruber is here and then you immediately start looking for the exits. Don't you? <laughs> like he arrived in a Pacific Courier <laughs> truck, it was a, a surprise. But uh, he did some
3: great work with Emma Thompson as well. Sense yeah. and sensibility. He's he's really good in. Yeah, him and Emma Tom-
2: Thompson had a fantastic rapport in that movie. Mm. Chemistry, yeah, yeah. the two of them. Yeah, so he could kind of
3: do it all.
1: And even Love Actually, where of course he's not quite as nice with uh, Miss Thompson. He's still, he still, I still cannot one hundred percent hate that character. He's a he's yeah, an awful character. Yeah, awful what he does. But you can't
0: hate him but he has i mean i, yeah, I i've said i think i've said this in the podcast as well before i hate love actually i loathe that yeah. film but i his bit his segment his segment emma thompson's segment is so good absolutely uh, because my wife does make me watch it every christmas so i do know it quite well by now and the, again it's about bringing that humanity there's a yeah. bit at the end sort of it so the alan rickman section is he's a you know he's in a marriage with emma thompson and he's He's caught the eye of his hot young uh, woman at work and so he gets distracted by it and he thinks about having an affair with her and, and at the end he basically says, oh, I've been a fool and he, he, he admits it, he realises and, and he breaks down and you don't really think that that marriage is saved yeah. or going to be saved but at least you know there's a little bit, there's a, a kernel of humanity in that character. Uh, he was an astonishing guy. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great presence and that uh, that amazing voice. And I feel so sad. I mean, you know, <laughs> one of the things I did in the podcast every now and again was Alan Rickman singing the the songs of was it Alan Rickman impersonating Eddie Feder or was it Eddie Feder impersonating Alan Rickman? I can't remember what it was, but I feel sad because I don't think I'm ever going to do it again. And yeah, because it'll make me sad. But uh, I think one of my favorite moments just just a just a
2: um, was in Prince of Thieves when yeah. he does his um you you nine o'clock you ten thirty bring a friend. <laughs> and um, the wenches I think Rob, Ruby Wax had, had added that final flourish to that line the bring a friend bit but yeah. he just makes it and I got the impression when we talked to him on the podcast that nobody none of the kind of Hollywood guys Kevin Reynolds Kevin Costner no, really knew what he was doing with that character at all <laughs> um, But he was, he was just, a bit punk rock yeah <laughs> he just did it anyway and it was awesome
0: yeah you got the sense that uh, Prince of Thieves came about because they were looking for a bad guy and they went oh get the guy from Die Hard and he'll just do a shtick he'll just do that and he didn't. He didn't quite do that. He did something else. He won a BAFTA for that, didn't he? So I saw someone on yeah. on Twitter just before we came here said a part of his <laughs> his BAFTA acceptance speech for Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves was, um, and I'm paraphrasing wildly here. Allow this to be a reminder to me that that subtlety doesn't always pay. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah it's Robert West. Subtlety isn't every, always yeah, it. yeah, everything. Yeah, it's everything. Subtlety is not always everything, which I, mm. I think was perfect. Um, he meant a lot to us here at Empire, and we're very very sad that he's gone, Alan Rickman, who died this week, uh, and also. Someone who passed away this week and uh, left an indelible footprint on the world was David Bowie. Again, 69. Again, cancer. Uh, join me in squaring on the Empire podcast. Fuck you, cancer. You know, obviously a musician, but he had a f- fantastic movie career as well. I mean, he worked with... Who did he work with, though? He worked with Nick Rogue. Uh-huh. Um, right off the bat, first movie. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, exactly. Okay.
2: Um, are you talking about the man... The man who fell to earth—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's so perfectly kind of marries his his, you know, his musical persona with with the screen, and I think he brought that to all of his roles, didn't he? Had that kind of ethereal, extraterrestrial kind of charisma, you know, just by being there. Um, Merry Christmas, Mister Lawrence was another kind of example of that, where you know, just being in the scene, he he brought something other otherworldly um, to to things. So I guess Labyrinth though is the one that you know, the predominant outpouring of love comes from. I think so many people grew up with that movie and The Goblin King.
3: Um, Jareth. Jareth. You grew up with The Goblin King. Not Gareth. Not Gareth. No. It's a different Goblin King entirely. It's twin brother. Yeah. It, it made a huge impact on me when I saw it. I was, I, I found that film quite scary. I saw it quite young. But there was just, just something about that character and that scene where he's bouncing the baby around and in a frankly irresponsible fashion um, <laughs> with, with his, uh, his leggings that have got bulges where they probably shouldn't be in a ch- children's film. But <laughs> it's a magnificent performance and like he really commits to that. He was really good. He committed to everything, I think, he, yeah. he ever did.
0: But. He was a really good actor. I, you know, I didn't know until this week that he had played John Merrick on, in The Elephant Man on stage. So the role that Bradley Cooper just played in, in you know Broadway and on the West End... Yeah, and David Bowie played that as well. Uh, that's sort of Mark Hamill, <laughs> funnily enough, um, not at the same time. That would be weird. But he was genuinely really good. You imagine when most, most not all, rock stars, pop stars who become actors, that's be honest here, stink up the screen. But Bowie didn't, and there was something I think though about his selectiveness as an actor which was really interesting he didn't work that often but he worked with Scorsese he worked with David Lynch he worked with as you say Nick Rogue Christopher Nolan you know even on the small screen Christopher Morris Ricky Gervais and he was really good and obviously being Bowie he had this presence. he was Bowie the minute he walked on screen maybe that might have meant he couldn't disappear into roles the way that some actors would do I don't know uh, if that's, I don't know if that's true though. I mean, okay. I think there is an element of that, that that he
2: did bring that. As I said, he brought that kind of ethereal quality. But he he was, you know, when you're watching him as Nikola Tesla in The Prestige, for instance, he's got. He's got a little something else in the locker, I reckon, and and uh, yeah, but there's also party going. That's David Bowie. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: mean, you know, <laughs>
2: yeah, you're also going. That's Hugh Jackman. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, yes, choose that's Hugh Jackman. Point. Yeah, <laughs> oh <my laughs> it's actually Hugh Jackman. And well, uh, I, mean. I specifically, I was going to point out the this um, Last Temptation of Christ. He plays Pontius Pilate, hmm. and it's really good. You should check it out on on YouTube. It's a really subtle <laughs> bit of acting,
0: or 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 rent the film, <laughs> or actually watch the film. Don't don't just go to YouTube. YouTube.
2: Yeah, but they, people are listening to the podcast. I don't want to sort of
0: <laughs> stop yeah. listening, go and rent the
2: film. Um, yeah, he had something. There was one other thing that I wanted to, to mention, which, which I always think about with Bowie, is that obviously he was first and foremost known as a rock god and, and a sort of musical shapeshifter. And in Control, there's a great scene where, um, of a sort of bygone era, I guess, where Ian Curtis runs off to buy Lad Insane on vinyl for the mm-hmm. first time. It's just come out. It's that thing of going to the shops, getting the copy, running home to his, you know, Manchester Council Estate, putting in it, getting into his bedroom, closing the door, putting on the record player, and then, you know, unleashing this kind of amazing torrent of music. Um and that just gives you a sense of like his span, you know, the the musically and 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 and, and you know on stage to a point and on screen, he kind of kept reinventing himself over a number of decades in a way that few artists can emulate and uh, and, and, you know, influenced Joy Division, influenced, you know, musical bands they have had their own films made about them. So yeah. when the Bowie movie comes, um, God knows, you
3: know, good luck to whoever, whoever has to play him, I think. <laughs> Eddie Redmayne, probably. Um, I mean, even, with, even without his acting... Um, just the the impact that his music has had on films. It's just countless. Just in The Martian, there was they yeah. didn't they didn't use Life on Mars, which always puzzled me. <laughs> Robert I thought like, yeah, <laughs> <S-Megis. laughs> in that case you could you could have pump that. up the volume by Mars as well. Um, I mean, just anything with Mars. But I mean, how many? What's your favorite kind of instance of Bowie music in a film? I guess Francis Har's got a great yes. uh, oh, Bowie my moment. Favorite. In it. That was
1: my favorite.
3: Um, I mean, I love Flight of the Concorde. So I've been rewatching uh, Bowie's <laughs> in Space. Yeah.
0: Bowie's in space. Um, Bowie's in space. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I well, I wrote a, I wrote an obit. Um, I wrote both the obits of, of 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 Bowie and Rickman for Empire this month, and um, uh, I actually started my Bowie obit with uh, reference of some of his him, some of the amazing moments in his movies. So uh, it's it's Melly the in in Glorious Bastards for well, cat people yeah. putting enough fire. Oh
3: yeah. And the end, which, the end credits of Cat People, which yeah, I'm kind of obsessed with. Precisely. That amazing uh, freeze frame, and then they hold it for ages and then let it go, and they're the, the putting out fire.
0: It's one of those great songs, I think, that's been used in more than one film. Obviously, he wrote it specifically for one film, and then Tarantino being be Tarantino, took it and used it for something else. Um, but I, I, I love that. That's a, that's a great moment. And I also love the moment in, in Ghost Point Blank, where John Cusack um, sits staring at this baby and has this... This moment, this epiphany, he's going through this existential crisis and he stares at this baby while Under Pressure plays in the background and, and Bowie's vocals play counterpoint to Freddie Mercury's and they build and build and build. And that's a great moment for me as well. But yeah, he was just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, just thinking of other things his music's been in. I mean, so many films, but even things that you wouldn't think should hit you, like in Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's the song that they, you know, Emma Watson and everybody, it's like their big song, they've been hunting for it for ages. Um, and just those final moments, you can't help but be completely swept up in the you know the emotion of them because of the song and what it is. And
2: um, it's massive, yeah, absolutely. Kristen Wiig covers uh, Space Oddity yes. in, in the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. That's great. Which is a good moment. So yeah, his you know his tracks will live on in cinema, won't they? I don't think there's any doubt about that. Absolutely.
0: So favorite performance, favorite boy performance. Favourite someone impersonating Bowie if you want to It's comforts. good. So I'm going to get in there
3: early now, this time and just say Labyrinth because, I don't know, I mean, I've seen it twice this week already, um, but I, I don't know how many times I've seen that. I, I tried to pull off a, a, a kind of a, a photo shoot with Bowie and tried to get an interview with him a few years ago and was told he's not doing interviews anymore, but would have loved to have, have talked to him about it. But I've always wondered who did the hands. You know, his, his big entrance through the window through Sarah's window, and then his hands are there, and he's juggling crystal balls, but they're obviously not his hands. (laughs) I've always wondered whose hands they are, (laughs) and do they just go around telling people, I was was the Goblin King's hands?
0: I don't know. (laughs) Food for thought. It is food for thought. Emma?
1: I'm completely left-field, but I think on a personal level, he means everything to my mum, so kind of growing up with the snowman, the re-release, and it's not a role but just him being there you know wrapping the scarf just that it's so tiny and so personal but I think because he's someone who is so huge to grow up with him seeming very friendly and like someone that I knew that to me is, I think is the most personal kind of little thing that he's ever put to screen
2: oh lovely I I guess serious answer would be the Nick Rogue but I love him in Zulando. he's only in it for about four seconds but the idea that the man who wrote fashion you know turns up and
0: I think I may be of some help <laughs> for the walk-off. You're like, yeah, probably. And then the, when he comes on, the, the, the screen goes, David Bowie, and then Let's Dance plays as well in the soundtrack, just in case you were in any doubt. That's oh, him. Right. But you also get the sense that in the world of Sulander, whenever David Bowie enters a room, that his name appears in front of him <laughs> and Let's Dance plays. Uh, it's amazing. I, I'm going to give a shout-out to John Landis' as Into the Night, in which he appears as a British hitman Good called job. Colin Morris. Uh, he's in it for two scenes. And he doesn't turn up until about an hour or so into the movie. Uh, but he's very, very good. Very, very good. Opposite Jeff Goldblum.
3: Yeah, he's quite menacing in that, isn't he? I mean, he, he is, He yeah. could be very scary or he could be very funny. I mean, he, his range was crazy. Yeah. And um, I think he, he had, from all accounts, he had an amazing sense of humor. I was just reading Ricky Gervais' uh, piece he wrote for The Holder Reporter uh, yesterday. And uh, he talks about the first time he rang him up. Uh, David Bowie replied and said, Sorry, I was just eating a banana. <laughs> it was just like the most unbowie thing you can imagine. But... Yeah, it was a space banana. It was. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he was eating it in zero g.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, time now for our first guest, uh, the Revenant. Alejandro G. Inarritu's gripping tale of survival is out this week, and spoiler alert: we gave it five stars. Uh, we're going to be discussing that later on on the show, uh, but we liked the film so much. We decided to interview not one, but two Revenanters, that's a word, look it up, uh, this week. We're going to start, not with Iñárritu, but with Donald Gleason, the Irish actor who had something of a cracking year, what with his very, very good supporting turn in this, uh, also Ex Machina, and a little movie called Star Wars The Force Awakens. Don't Uh, forget Brooklyn. That's not forget Brooklyn. Yeah. How can I forget Brooklyn? <laughs> the Oscar-nominated Brooklyn. Uh, in fact, uh, Gleason was cast in Star Wars just a couple of days after his last appearance on the Empire Podcast uh, when he was promoting Frank. Uh, were we responsible for him being cast in the Force Awakens? Well, no, but we'd like to claim twenty percent of his fee, regardless. Uh, Phil, yeah, spoke. No, I'm, I'm just saying your name. <laughs> <sorry>. Don't worry, <laughs> At ease, Soldier. Uh, Phil spoke to him um, when he was in London just before Christmas. Enjoy.
2: We are very, very pleased to be joined by Donald Gleeson on the Empire Podcast for a second time.
4: Yes, yes. We spoke yes.
2: to you for, Frank, a third time you come back. I think there's some form of award, maybe a hat. I don't know. What, <laughs> what would you like for the Like next the World time? Cup, you get to keep it sort of thing. You get to keep the entire oh, podcast. Nice. Yeah, all right, I'll do. take it. You do. Um, having worked on The Revenant with Alejandro Inarritu, I don't mm-hmm. know if I said that correctly. Are you Alejandro glad? Alejandro González Iñárritu. Perfect. Yeah, there that. you go. Are you glad that he didn't direct the wedding scene in About Time? Why? Well, the stormy, the oh, stormy, good Lord. blustery. Good Lord. Exposed yeah. to the elements, you would have been out there for. We could have been there for seven months
4: again. Um, no, it was. Uh, yeah, he's he's a he's a, um, a full on individual, and nothing is right until everything is perfect, and uh, I found that kind of inspiring.
2: It it must be strange because Brooklyn, you're in a bunch of films at the moment that are Mm. getting, I believe it's called Buzz. Um, (laughs) Films that people have loved. um, Ex Machina, Brooklyn. um, Mm. There's another movie coming out soon. Um, which people probably know the SW, name of. SW, yeah, yeah. Uh, SW uh, and The Revenant. Um, but it must feel like you were on The Revenant for for, for several months, yeah. for a number of months out in the sticks. You mm-hmm. were on Brooklyn for, I think, was it about a week and a half? Yeah,
4: a week must, and a half, two weeks. It must yeah. feel a
2: bit like you're doing almost two different jobs sometimes. It's
4: a... Yeah, it's a strange one. The, inve- but, like, the investment is always the same, but the time on set can be totally different. So, um, yeah, I mean, The reverend kind of took a lot out of everybody, I think, by the end of it. So it, it was just a very intense experience and was designed as such. So um, Did it
2: change you as a man?
4: Did it change me as a man? I, uh, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. I never want to live in the Sheraton Eau Claire again, if that, if, that <laughs> really? makes, if that changes me as a man. Beautiful um, Beautiful hotel. Yes. But, uh, you know... I gather Fargo was filming not too far away. Do you know, I was... Uh, we There was too many men on that film. You know, you just miss the fact that, that the normal population is made up of half women. And when the whole cast is so... I mean, because fur trappers at that time were basically exclusively men. You know, it was that was just the way it was. So, it was just a bunch of guys in the hotel, all the cast and uh, I was walking through the lobby one day and just depressed and I, and I saw Kristen Miliotti who is uh, who was in who was in Fargo season 2 and who I knew from years before and it was like she was like this beacon of light some femininity in the, in the area it was just the most amazing thing in the world I was so happy to see her Did you just point her and go woman? No, no, no that would, that would have been really weird and possibly class as misogynistic I was just so happy to be in the, in the, in the presence of a female in the, in the hotel because yeah. once we were on set of course there was
2: cr- plenty of crew who were female but yeah, the cast was, was largely male. I always imagine that it, sometimes you get a sense of what a film is going to turn out like when you're working on it. And sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know because the mood um, is established very much in, in the editing and in the yeah. soundtrack, in the score, which this film has an incredible um, score. Um, did you When you sat down and watched it for the first time, was it kind of what you were expecting, The Revenant? Or did it... Let me think. I think... Did you just get what it, it I believe it was
4: the sense of what it was, the brutality and the beauty existing so close to each other. Um, and that kind of, what's that quote from Grizzly Man about, you know, the, when he looks in the eyes of the bear, he doesn't see the beauty of nature. He sees, or yes. he, you know what I mean? Like he, yes. he, it's the fact that nature doesn't care yes. about men, but men should care about nature. I, all of that was in the film. Uh, uh but in a, possibly in a slightly different way than I had expected, it was more tender in moments than I was expecting, which really made me happy um But the whole film, the sense of what the film was but like if if you shoot anything for the amount of months that we shot this, a lot of that inevitably is going to end up on the floor. Yes, you know it just has to that 's the nature of it so every scene I thought would be there was not there, but it's heart and soul was what i had hoped it would be.
2: It is a spectacular piece of work, unquestionably, and i'm sure worth worth the the the, the, the sort of arduousness of the process. Easy for you to say. Well, i'm saying, it, i'm <laughs> saying it for me cuz you know, you know yeah, 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 i put a lot into it. <laughs> yeah, um, it was worth it. It was yeah. worth it. And you went through that a little bit with Unbroken as well in a slightly different way.
4: Um, I did. Yes, yes. People have been describing Revenant as the hardest and they did. I actually found uh, I found the um it was just a diet on Unbroken. But I found, I found that intensely difficult. I found that intense. Just because energy was so low, at least you could feed yourself on the remnants. Yeah. I, quite, I quite enjoyed that. I would remind myself, well, at least I can eat while I was doing what it. What was your first meal back after Unbroken? Um, Angelina... Organized for a pizza. I had been talking about pizza for months, and yeah, Angelina organized for for a for a pizza and a, a really nice pizza from an amazing pizza place, which they opened early to make me a pizza, uh, pepperoni pizza, and 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 a uh, half a bottle of red wine, which I ate in my trailer. But when I got back to my like, trailer, Jack O'Connell was waiting with the pizza, and he was totally naked, and he was ha- holding it over his dare I say cock and balls, and he said, "With cheese, sir." <laughs> <laughs> so that I was so appetized by the pizza, and then so disturbed by the setting uh, that it did uh, make me feel a little bit strange when I ate it. I waited for him to go,
2: and then I ate. Yes. it so I should point that out. Just yeah, from good, his naked body. Good. I'm regretting that it was a pepperoni? I'd imagine. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's. It's. Uh, I have to ask about SW. Um, I'm specifically interested in your. And I brought a picture, but I left it behind. Annoyingly, the, your hmm. Lego, your action figures. There's a couple of... I believe there's one action figure and one Lego. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling about them? They're quite heavy on the sideburns. Do you feel they've captured your likeness in a way that They've captured
4: my sideburns. They've (laughs) wrangled my sideburns. And they... um Yes, I, I believe the action figure looks pretty, pretty good. More like Benedict Cumberbatch from certain angles than than myself. But no, actually, I was really surprised how much how much it looked like me, and uh, kind of thrilled. The Lego one, of course, is not as much of a likeness, but um, but uh, they captured something of his
2: mean spiritedness. I believe, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've obviously been promoted from captain to, to general, and he does have yeah. so he does have a certain sort of. Uh, fastidiousness in his appearance obviously is is
4: this Hooks or is this my guy yes Hooks General Hooks yes Uh, General Hooks does yes 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 Um, well it's very who cuts his hair He's got people who do it for him. Right. A stormtrooper? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure.
2: A special stormtrooper? A scissors trooper? I don't know. I don't know. I have to ask you how um, this will air. I guess people would have seen Star Wars, I imagine, several times by the time this airs. But yes, I guess I wondered, hope at I've seen it because I haven't seen it yet no, at the time you, of recording. No. Yes,
4: right. No, no. Okay, God, when are you going to see so it? I don't know how much I'm going to. I'm going to see it at the premiere. But I, but I haven't. Yeah, so it's really weird for me to talk about it. I don't know how much no. I'm in it. Do you, you know, know, know what I mean? Like it's, right. Do you know what
2: happens in the end? I mean I read
4: the script The whole thing Okay Yes Before I signed up I kind of wanted to read the script So I was lucky that they let me do that Um, But um,
2: yeah That sounds like a silly question But is it a foregone conclusion That you get to see the whole script Of a film like that No I I I
4: was very I, I was reticent about Signing on for something where I couldn't read the script. The reason to do things are like you know the script and the director really are the, always the initial things that attract you. Obviously the director was enough of a reason to want to do it, right. and the fact that Lawrence Kasdan had also had something to do with writing the script. But I did I did really want to read it. And then when I met with JJ and Lawrence, they did they said, "All right, look, it's in the other room. You can go in and read it and come back, and then we'll have a chat." And it, it was very generous and actually made me want to do it kind of anyway. But then I read the script and it was brilliant. Do you feel like you need to read it really quickly
2: because they're kind of waiting for you? And you feel like a great No, they had pressure. stuff to. Be doing there, I'm waiting to make Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, there, I would love to see Revenant Lego, that would be phenomenal. Um, it would be amazing. I'd love to see the bear, yeah. The, the be bear, cool. yes. Yeah, yeah. Have you been following the bear controversy that's that's sort of unfolded in recent weeks I did weeks? hear
4: about it, I did hear about yeah, it, we did talk online? about it on the WhatsApp. Uh, trappers uh, group. Um, You've got a was, WhatsApp group called uh, Trappers.
2: Uh, yeah.
4: But Will Poulter tells me that uh, that uh, trappers means something else in modern lingo, apparently.
2: Does it? I didn't know that. Yeah.
4: Appar- apparently it means, I don't know, it might be even something to do with drugs or something. Like if you're a trapper, he's, he mentioned a trap house. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I don't okay. know these things. But uh, but uh, yeah, but we just mean it in the old fashioned uh, for a trapper sense, the word. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that was... Uh, I mean, uh, but actually, it was kind of scary that that a something which purports to be news. Would release something which was so blatantly untrue kind of made me worry for the you know you already know that every you know that not to believe what you read in the papers but that was just so outlandish I just thought it was ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Anyways, that's not a funny answer to what was kind of a ridiculous episode, but there you go. Uh, You know, fair enough. Um, More interestingly, the 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 film The Revenant opens with an astonishing battle sequence where the trappers get ambushed by Native Americans, Um, and it has this what we sort of call a pass the parcel camera shot, which follows. A, a sort of a cycle of violence yes. kind of a Werner Herzogian moment although mm. in return I suppose um what was how long did that take to film and what was your sort of moment of moments in in that process
4: i i think it was probably over about 2 weeks i would say something like that um yeah i think probably 2 weeks I, I, but I, it's all a blur now yeah. like it was such an intense process because we were fu- i mean there were so many moving parts in that literally And kind of metaphorically or whatever, there was so much going on and also so much figuring out to do about emotionally what's going to keep us in there. Right. And also stunts involved, horses, I mean, absolutely galloping along the ridge and a naked man (laughs) with an arrow in his back. That's not easy. Uh, You know, all all of the a, a guy falling in the fire. Like there was so, so many different things going on and important that we got so much of it right in chunks it was very very complicated and then just because you've hit your marks does not mean that emotionally it's in the right place you know right. and then the light has to be right and the light has to match if we did something yesterday so much of that was so complicated and yet it, that's how he began the shoot that They were the first two weeks of the film because yeah. we shot in sequence. So it was incredibly yeah. intense and incredibly inspiring as well, I have to say. I mean, it was really, all right, everybody up your game immediately because yeah. there's no time to warm up here. This is a sprint from the start. And that is what it was. It was like a sprint for seven months. It was crazy.
2: How long did it take you to get to set every morning? There were
4: certain locations where it was two hours you know two hours two and a half hours going in like and like not even really on roads on kind of just rickety kind of crazy things they would know they would they would drive but it it was i wouldn't call what we were on roads it was it was crazy and everybody's sick everybody's you know everybody you know it was it was it was great, but it was tough. I mean, you know, that was part of it, though. Alejandro wanted to be places where people hadn't really been much before. Certainly I, where people hadn't filmed before. No. And I think you can feel that untouched landscape in the film. I think it's very much part of it, you know?
2: Yes, definitely. I imagine there's an amazing sort of Hearts of Darkness documentary that that, 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 would, that could come out of this yeah, film. Yeah, I do wonder about that. I do mm. wonder.
4: I never really noticed much uh, people... Yeah. filming extra stuff the way you do often on films and I'd say it was just because it was so difficult to get everybody everywhere there was kind of no room for anyone extra
2: yeah, yeah. i uh, got to mention Ex Machina which has been f- appearing on everyone's sort of best of list oh, good. Oh, I hope for last so. year um, nice. Oscar Isaac dance scene yeah he likes to party um, the, everybody the, the, does. Yeah. The, um, I mean, you've got we've seen your moves in About Time and other yeah. and other places. Um, <laughs> you, what, tell me what that foot sequence was like to, to film because it's, it's just devastating. Hilarious to watch. Because
4: it's what everybody asks me about, and it's the bit that I'm not in. Really, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm just reacting, and it's the same in About Time. Everybody says that scene on the beach just broke my heart, and I'm like, that is the only scene of the entire <laughs> film that I am not in. So obviously, when I leave the screen, uh, special things happen. Um, the the you're in the scene. You just I not am. Moving. I am in the screen I just don't get to dance uh, which hopefully I've fixed in my most recent the film I just finished shooting hopefully I've got some dancing uh, that'll make the cut in that but yeah Oscar was British Sonoya also uh, who's dancing with him is a phenomenal dancer great actress too obviously but um, yeah seeing them do it was it was infuriating in a way, because you just say, I wish I was doing that. I yes. wish I was doing that, and not just judging them for it.
2: I did have a question about, about time, and a scene that you're in, although you can't see Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Although you
4: can't see me in it. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, Good lord. It's, we're
2: heading in the right direction, I feel. Um, it, you have. <laughs> you, I think you might be the only actor that's worked with available light and available darkness, because you've got that scene where you are literally pitch black yeah. with Rachel McAdams on, yeah. a, on a sort of a double date scenario. Yeah. What was that Don't like to... It was great
4: because we we went in the prep. We went to eat in that restaurant. Did you? We did, which was great. And somebody did touch her elbow. And she was like, did you touch my elbow? I was like, no. And I still think she thinks that I did it, which is really worrying. Um it was brilliant. It was, gr- And we shot that scene like three times, which is hilarious because the darkness was never quite right. We shot it in total blackness. Then we shot it where there was actually a little bit too oh. much light. And, we, and, and so the acting wasn't as good because you could see. And then we shot it with just glints here and there. So it was really, really good fun to do. And uh, Richard got in this Bernard joke. So that was very important. that was, uh, uh, It was great fun. It was great. I, I think Rachel's one of the best actors I've worked with. I, mean, I don't think I know for a fact. She's absolutely amazing.
2: Yes. Yeah. She also has a track record of being in time-traveling romances, which is kind of a bit unusual.
4: It's a, it's it's a strange piece to have, Which is lots of other stuff as
2: well. No, so of course. Not so yeah, of course. Um, just lastly then, uh, Mena looks like an enormous amount of fun. You're playing against yeah. uh, opposite Tom Cruise yeah. and it's a Doug Lehman film. Um, yeah. Doug Lehman's done films like Go. Um, yeah. on the one hand which are a bit sort of out there and then, um, the, and then the Edge of Tomorrow, his one. You don't think one. Edge of Tomorrow was out there? It's out there, but <laughs> it's, out there, you know, it's out there in a slightly different way, yeah. obviously. Um, what's the tone of this one? I'm, that's one of those ones where you have
4: to wait to find okay. out. What's, what's amazing about the way that both those guys work is they're willing to change everything at the drop of a hat if they feel something maybe more interesting. And when I say everything, they're willing to change everything. So that was part of what made that shoot special. Was the was the was the uh, sense of nothing being set in stone? When you turn up in the morning, knowing your lines in a way is a waste of time because really? the only thing you're almost guaranteed, perhaps not to say, is the lines. You know, and then but then some days it'll just be the scene exactly as shot. So it was a really really brilliant improvisational, in some ways, but structured kind of a process and as a result I kind of don't know what the thing it, it could be wow. anything but I, I I, loved it I mean Doug really made me reevaluate the way I thought about a day's shooting yeah. as did Alejandro I mean it's happened a few times now but it was very very interesting I think he's a superb filmmaker
2: do you have an idea of what the music the soundtrack I imagine the soundtrack is going to be quite important to this one because it's a 70s period
4: I, I, I listened to a lot of '80s stuff while I was doing it. Right. I listened to a lot of '80s music, and uh, but I don't know what they're going to use. I'm not sure yet because I haven't seen a cut, I haven't seen a cut of the film. I have no idea, no idea. Unfortunately, I can't. I can't. I'm not of much help on that.
2: It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Donald. You too. Uh, thank thank you, you so much, much for really taking the time then. to come back and come back again for the third. Yeah, and when you get, get, to get to keep the keep podcast, th- cannot wait. You keep the podcast, yeah, but you also have to edit it,
0: unfortunately. <laughs> We're more Revenanting later on with uh, Alejandro G. Inarito. Right now, we're going to talk about some movie news. And the biggest news today, obviously, apart from the terrible, sad death of uh, Alan Rickman, was the Oscar nominations, uh, which came out today. Uh, Emma, you are, you are, you are self styled. <laughs> <laughs> Let's emphasize that.
3: <laughs> yeah. so she
2: self- has no
0: self-proclaimed. formal qualifications. My says,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> she does not possess a license. No. officially unlicensed Oscar prognosticator self-licensed self-licensed um yeah. so you 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 know your shit when it comes to <laughs> little gold men so take us through well, what are the, what are the big nominees
1: well firstly i hope you know the films i'm talking about then but um the revenant no. Yeah, never heard of it. Okay, well, it's a it's a big one. Um, that's led today. That's t- got twelve nominations. Twelve nominations. Twelve nominations, and then you've got Mad Max Fury Road, not too far behind with ten, sweeping good. a lot of the technicals there, um, which was expected and thoroughly deserved. I think everybody will agree. Um, best film
0: and best director. Is that right?
1: This is true. This there is, is true. We go. The Martian is next, which I think a lot of people might be a bit surprised about. Again, lots of technical ones, but that's that follows with seven, and then you've got Spotlight, Bridge of Spies, and Carol, all with six apiece.
0: What's Best Picture? Give us the give us the eight films in Best Picture.
1: So, Best Picture, you've got Spotlight, mm-hmm. uh, The Big Short, uh-huh. Bridge of Spies, uh-huh. Brooklyn, uh-huh. Mad Max: Fury Rose. Yes, The Martian, Ooh. The Revenant, Ooh. and Room. Mm. Yeah, so lots of Bs. Mm-hmm.
0: Solid. Solid, very, very solid. solid list. Uh, I'm very happy to hear that indeed, because Nick and I had a ten pound bet that a big short would be nominated. Uh, 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 for yes, this but, picture. but, yeah, but. I saw tell him, that. tell him, uh, tell him. Uh, he sold his bet on to me yeah,
2: for I, five I, I, pounds. I didn't actually tell Chris this,
0: but yeah, and I and and subsequently I just... <laughs> sold it on to three other people during the lunch break. Yeah, I have, I have shorted you. Oh, my God. So I've made 10 quid, but you've actually made 345000000 million. You've actually <laughs> collapsed the global economy. Uh, so I sort you feel good about that.
2: Chris news, <laughs> we're repossessing your house after this podcast.
0: That's good. I don't own a house. This is, I don't know whose house you're repossessing. <laughs> I work for Empire Magazine. I don't know how you possibly could think I would have enough money to own a house, but there we go. We also um, have to take your clothes, but uh, fine. you first. <laughs> unrelated to the it's quite warm um, in here, to be honest. <laughs> I'm thinking of taking some off anyway, um, as I often do in the podcast. Uh, so you've shorted the big short markets. Uh, any shocks? Anything that that you were surprised to see being nominated, guys? I mean, is, is this? I mean,
1: it, to be fair, it was all pretty straightforward. If you're sad like me and spend all your days looking at what's going to happen, there were a you few. You would never have taken that bet. Oh, you the big knew. short!
2: You knew the big short was going to come. Right, one hundred percent. You were not surprised by anything that
1: happened today. Uh, there was there was maybe three. Not that I was surprised, but that I didn't think were what I would call a, a mortal lock. <laughs> It's <laughs> um, listening to myself. Is terrible, um, but the things that I'm super super happy about: Lenny Abrahamson getting a best director. Well done, to Lenny Abrahamson. I'm so pleased for him. I adore that film, and that's a fantastic fantastic shout.
0: We'll be talking about that later on.
1: Also, Sicario, which I know Nick. Is a massive fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, the score getting nominated for that was also something that wasn't necessarily set in stone, but it's a thoroughly deserved. Great score. He super- sort of goes...
3: It b- does. B- it's, b- quite, it's really stressful. <laughs>
1: what? It's very stressful.
3: He <laughs> does that at times.
1: Uh, and then Tom Hardy, which really, really, really pleased for. He again. also goes... Um, b- 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 he does. He does. He does that in The Revenant <laughs> quite a lot. No, he doesn't fit. That, you know, now you can say he's an Academy Award nominee, which is superb, thoroughly deserved. But that wasn't something that necessarily was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, your standard odd bits of category fraud, like uh, Rooney Mara being pushed for mm. Best Supporting when she's, you know, definitely not.
3: Category fraud is not a real crime. <laughs> I think we stress. <laughs> so there, there, there were a few, uh, there were a couple of extra things I would say that were surprising, uh, such as the hateful eight getting shut out of Best Picture, Best Director, and. Most shocking of all, Best Original Screenplay. That is pretty shocking. Uh,
1: best, best Director. Um, I thought it was I'm very well directed. Ridley.
3: Certainly, yeah, better than, than The Martian, but then Ridley Scott Ridley didn't, Scott didn't get... Ridley Scott is a
1: surprise not getting nominated. No. He No, honestly, mm-hmm. he is the one that was sort of leading the, the four a lot there, so a uh, bit of a weird one.
3: I Yeah, I'm not a huge... Fan of The Martian, so I'm I'm just surprised to see it in Best Picture, but um, I may be in the minority there. But no, I, I <laughs> thought Hateful Eight was I thought Hateful Eight was uh, great. I thought it was. I agree with uh, Chris. We were talking about it recently, and yep. we thought it was Tarantino's best for quite a long time.
0: Absolutely. If you haven't, if you were listening to last week's podcast, you will know that I hadn't seen The Hateful Eight at the time of talking about it, um, and I said that I would update my Tarantino list where it comes to my Tarantinoography, yeah <laughs> Tarantinography this week but then obviously the sad news about Alan Rickman and David Bowie uh, precluded that so uh, I'll do that next week but just suffice to say very high up I love The Hateful Light I thought it was fantastic I think it's the best western released this month Ladies and gentlemen, what does that mean? Mm, I don't know. Let's talk The Revenant later on, <laughs> shall we? Uh, but, <laughs> it's not a Western. Uh, it's not a Western. Well, neither is a hateful eight. <laughs> All right. Okay, <laughs> yes, buddy. Is. All right, mister. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about some, uh, some, some biggins here. Tarantino not getting nominated for best, best screenplay. Uh, so let's say original screenplay. So he's been beaten out by Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Spotlight, and mm-hmm. Straight out of Compton. Yeah, I'm yeah. very much in Nick's camp
2: on this one. Uh-huh. Um, I can't believe that this film doesn't get a best... Especially, as they tend to, he tends to be a lock in this category. Whenever he makes yeah. a film, he, he's usually first on the list. Mm. But thats it's a really, really impressive screenplay, mm. as usual. Um,
0: so that's a surprise. Mm.
1: Amazing news for Alex Garland, though, can we say, for Ex Machina. Yes. Yeah. Uh, incredible news. Yes.
0: Well, I think one of the interesting things about this, this Oscars uh, so far is... It hasn't entirely eradicated it, but the, the nods for the likes of Mad Max, which came out in May, and X Machina, which came out in January, I think it may come out in the States a little bit later. Um, but the release date snobbery, that like usually hamstrings the Oscars, where basically if your movie's not released in October, November, or December, it is considered worthless. That annoys me big time. Uh, so I'm glad to see that they're beginning to consider that, hey, some of these other movies are released in other months might actually be good. This is interesting. It's funny
2: though with, last... with X Machina though, because we interviewed a lot of directors in the second half of the year, and if you you know just making small talk or in the interview, you ask them which films had impressed them in the year. Yeah, so many of them would say X Machina. Yeah. So I think from a from a you know industry and from an acting guild point of view and from a director's point of view and maybe even from the PGA's point of view, you know, but especially the actors who are the biggest act, voting block. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a film that just had legs and just you know grew and grew and buzz. Yeah,
1: um, and the three of the hottest people around. Buzz, yes. And, you know, they've all stayed the in the public eye throughout, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, yeah.
3: Phil, what's your view on Steve Jobs? Do you think it's been unfairly <laughs> maligned and not being nominated in every category?
1: Two nominations, Phil.
3: Just two best. I would, well, to be honest, it's it's a mission from best animation
2: was less of a <laughs> less of a blow. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, yeah, Danny Boyle. I, I, pff, It didn't do as well as they were hoping. You know how I feel about this movie. Mm. I'm almost too close to comment. (laughs) But I would say that Danny Boyle did a great job. I'm very surprised that Aaron Salkin's script didn't get any love. It's a really impressive idea. You know, he talked about it a lot in the press that he had to find a structure for this to steer it away from the traditional biopic, the sort of movies that tend to get Oscar recognition. He did something a bit different, which I think should have been appreciated. And it's a really smart, into smart script, really compelling um, beautifully played by Fassbender and I think Kate Winslet was really good too so those are, seem well deserved. The film didn't do well in America and that's obviously going to count against it. I don't know, I guess it's not a big surprise but I think Sorkin is
3: And then Carol, there was no Carol in Best Picture or Best Director which was maybe a bit of a surprise I felt, I felt, I felt like that was being seen as a bit of a front runner
0: Yeah I think I, 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 Emma will, will probably correct me here uh, having spent time with all the Oscar voters, is this, you've broken into I, their houses and yeah. you've lived within Why their knocked, walls? I knocked first. Okay. Make sure they're not in. and yeah. They're climbing through the bathroom window. Uh, so Lenny Abramson uh, for Room over Todd Haynes. I thought uh, Carol was masterfully, masterfully directed, says the Empire Podcast. And I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> I thought it was great, says film critic. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's a, that's a slight surprise. Tom McCarthy uh, Spotlight's great. I think Spotlight is is suffering that slight diminishing that happens when you're the front runner for a while, and you're a film that doesn't necessarily pull up any trees mm. stylistically. Sure, uh, but it's a very very well made film. Um, Best editing
1: nom, which yeah yeah. I mean it yeah. It's a film that's edited, but.
0: I mean. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. <laughs> if it it's was just the a least, raw assembly of footage, <laughs> it's that kind would of be the least, through. Th- the least flashy yeah. of all of
3: the the movies. I would say, t- I mean, in the way that it's directed, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's very well directed. Uh-huh. It's very uh-huh. and, it's, novel, and it's directed yeah. in a way that's appropriate for the subject matter. Like it wouldn't have yeah. made sense to have been yeah. very flashy, but it's definitely very muted compared to the others.
1: Like the big, the big short, being its, you know, yeah. polar opposite for sure. Yeah. Well, Mad Max actually. Or if Mad Max. Or the Revenant. Any of them
3: where the camera's rocketing around all over the shop.
0: It's yes. interesting. Um, oh, yeah, I, any any Anything that's really chafing you, any omissions... I mean, I'm having seen The Hateful Eight, and I, I I said this on Twitter, but I'm actually astonished that no one from that movie, in particular, I think Sam Jackson, who hasn't been this good in years, wasn't in the conversation uh, for best actor, best supporting actor. Now, obviously, there's, there's lots of conversations about, you know, has Steve Carell, for example... Was he hamstrung by the decision to put him into Best Actor for The Big Short rather than Best Supporting Actor, where he might have had a better shot? I mean, it's an ensemble movie. It's out next week in the UK. You guys will see it then. But he is in that ensemble definitely the lead, and the way that Sam Jackson is definitely the lead in The Hateful Eight. But do you do you you know do you double down? Do you go for you make it a little bit safer by going for Best Supporting Actor, for example? But I, I'm am a bit annoyed about it. I, I, my, my love for Creed is deep, uh, hmm. so I I'm you know I'm a bit annoyed about a the score not being nominated. But I guess there are, there are rules about how much original music you're allowed, yeah. or how much you know of of, uh, of the Bill Conti stuff that you're allowed to use. Um, or Ryan Coogler, or indeed Michael B. Jordan, who are great, and I'm I'm delighted to see Stallone in there. I really, really, really hope that he wins a uh, Best Supporting now. Actor. I don't know. There's a lot of talk about Mark Rylance having to just basically turn up and pick it up. But, um, <laughs> well,
1: mm, I don't know. It's all kind of changed. Stallone at the moment is front runner, but but but
0: we shall see. But I, we shall see.
2: I it, I, th- I feel like looking back at the last few years that maybe maybe the Oscars is embracing the rougher edges. The movie's with rougher edges, perhaps. No, it's, it's Ruffalo. Ruffalo, my mistake. <laughs> Hollywood is embracing Mark Ruffalo. Wouldn't we all like to do that? <laughs> that sounded a lot weirder. <laughs> <laughs>
0: when I
2: spoke it. in my mind, it sounded really affectionate, but it just came out as sexy. No, sec- anyway. Phil, to be fair, most things no, you say come out as sexy. No, that's true. That's not true. Um, you know, the artist, uh, King's Speech, Argo, have given way to 12 Years a Slave and Birdman. Um, which are definitely edgier movies. Mm. So I don't know. I feel like maybe maybe that's where <coughs> Spotlight may may come up short because it feels much more in the former camp than the latter. Um, but we shall see. I don't know.
3: There's been a lot of talk about the dearth of black actors, generally, in the nominations. Um, I mean, I think Idris Elba is particularly a, a big omission. Yeah, the yeah. yeah, no yeah, yeah There's is... a lot of talk about there being a kind of Slight like anti-Netflix. Is there an, a bit of an anti-Netflix Was it Netflix definitely bias? eligible?
0: Was it de- eligible? Oh yeah, he, he it was. was mm. it, he
1: was. It would, yeah, he he should. It was almost a surprise that he wasn't
0: nominated for a BAFTA, but not for an Oscar.
1: No, but he was. He was. He was one of those ones that could have taken that fifth slot, hundred uh, percent.
0: The supporting actor nominees. In case you're not sure, Christian Bell for The Big Short, Tom Hardy for The Revenant, Mark uh, Gruffalo for Spotlight, <laughs> uh, Mark Rylance, uh for Bridge of Spies. And Sly Fester's Stallone uh, for Creed. And no Paul Dano, which is another shame. Yes, but this another one I was going to talk about in yeah. terms of the best actor, best supporting actor. What do you go for? Uh, Paul Dano in... Uh, you say Dano, I say Dano. Let's call it holding <laughs> off. Uh, uh, for the brilliant Love and Mercy, another film which is overlooked here, I thought it yeah. was fantastic. Oh, yeah. he, he, again, is the lead, but it's an ensemble piece. So would he have had a better shot of being nominated for playing Brian Wilson, young the younger, uh, in Love and Mercy, had he gone for best supporting?
3: And then soundtracks. Um, sorry, soundtrack. Soundtracks. Uh, the best best score is interesting. I uh, again, I'm going to mispronounce somebody's name, but as I always do, Michael Giacchino. Always Giacchino.
0: Giacchino. Giacchino.
3: Giacchino. Michael, Michael Giacchino's Guccino. Inside Out score, which which like his Up score makes me cry just by listening to it for some weird reason, I can't fully explain. But I thought that was uh, snubbed. I was delighted to see the Sicario uh, score in there. Yeah. And a bit baffled by The Hateful Eight, because not that it's not a great theme, but he didn't actually write that much music for it, did he? Does
0: anybody know the the deal? There's a uh, fair amount on there, but I guess the soundtrack that they submit, I don't really know. It's like maybe Tarantino is... You know, he's he's maybe there's a loophole. Maybe he's calling the bits of Ennio Morricone's former scores there's a lot of the thing on there. For example, there's a bit from Exorcist 2 Maybe he's saying, "Well, I'm just using that like I would use a pop song." So you consider the bits he actually did write. I'll be honest, yeah. the best score nominee that surprised me was John Williams. Me too. For <laughs> The Force Awakens. Me too. Because that that sound that score uh, it hasn't. It doesn't have the character of most of the other Star Wars yep. soundtracks for me.
3: I'd agree. Yeah, I like Ray's theme very much. Yeah, it's like. But I end. mean, again, it's it's kind of repeated three times on the on the score, and there isn't really anything else that really jumps out. Yeah, I, it reminded me a bit of the Howard Shaw Hobbit theme uh, scores, which just really repeat past mm. glories and yeah. add a little bit of extra. But it's not it's not groundbreaking. Yeah. I really
2: I really liked, and the Martian's taking a, a minor kicking, but I really like the score for the Martian. Harry Gregson Williams, Harry. Um, really, really good. I thought. Got mm. some, you know, it's got a
0: score and it's also got a soundtrack as well. Obviously, that film, but I a lot of music in it. I can absolutely see of The Martian's on this list. Um, it's a, it's a quality entertainment. It did very, very well. Matt Damon being nominated for Best Actor was a bit of a surprise, I think. Emma's shaking her head.
1: <laughs> Sorry. How many people? Did she you lived Kansas? inside his
0: house for three weeks <laughs> <laughs> to gather this information. Many Bohuns have died. Um, <laughs> what, what surprised you then? What, what was, what was the, the, the big things?
1: Well, like I said, I mean, honestly, Hardy getting in because, you know, in a nice way, he's probably riding Leo's wave there.
0: Whoa. Which I hear is a pretty, pretty awesome thing to do. He's very good in that film. I think AC he was better Perl. in Legend.
1: This is the thing, but that hasn't been, you know, that hasn't been pushed enough. Is it a case of... Who do you push him for? Is it a dual performance? Yeah, do, you know how does that work? I, I think, think much of it noise. is if
3: a film doesn't catch on, really, it just kind of gets ignored. Oh, of That's, course, it seems to be the case. I mean, I was saying earlier that I thought Chappie should have been supported. Uh, Chappie has become a bit of a, a kind of a running joke, but
1: it's not I'm, a running I'm, joke. hang on, let
3: me let me finish my sentence. <laughs> Nominated for visual effects. I'm not okay, talking about okay, best okay, picture. Okay, okay I'm <laughs> just saying the effects the effects in that film as they were in um, District Nine, yes. I thought were terrific, absolutely terrific. Yeah, yes. And if you put them side by side, probably not with with Force Awakens, but if you put them side by side. With some of the other nominees, uh-huh. it's uh, there's some astonishing stuff in that film. Not just the the Chappie animation, but the Hugh Jackman's. Cult. It's hard to say the word Chappie and Oscar in the same sentence like, and and take it seriously. But <laughs> Chappie win Oscar. That would yeah. If only Chappie not win Oscar. Chappie thank mummy.
1: <laughs> I think um, <laughs> bringing it back down to the ground uh, in a in a nice way. I mean, I know Rachel McAdams has been banded about a lot, but. Has she? That's such a. <laughs> I don't remember doing that. Scurrilous, uh, I think her, her name at first but, oh, okay. like, but I do All right. think that's such a bu- not a bizarre nomination, but it's not a. I don't think it's something that everyone goes. Oh yeah, Rachel McAdams. She, you know, definitely Oscar worthy for that performance. Mm-hmm. Same as Michael Keaton. Two of them, you know, their names come up a lot. Personally, I don't agree, but I'm really glad Ruffalo did get nominated. I think he's superb in that film. Um, but yeah, McAdams great for her, but I. That's Maybe it was bizarre. like a true
0: detective season two thing where they just sort of felt bad for her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so the nominees for Best Supporting Actress, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Oh, that's really yeah. excellent. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, for The Hateful Eight. So yes, um, she's great in that. Uh, Rooney Meyer for Carol, also great. Rachel McAdams for Spotlight. Alicia Fikander for Ex Machina. Ooh. Danish girl. Says Ex Machina here.
1: It was a Danish girl. On the BBC. No, it's wrong. See, that's the thing. So the thing is that actually all the critics groups that happen in the background, these sort of 40 plus across America, uh, Alicia had actually been winning. So for Ex Machina, she was top, which people don't really see, which is very interesting. But, you know, again, arguable case of category fraud. She's been put for supporting when for some other things she's come through as lead. So you've said this a couple of times
0: now. (laughs) You said, you've said said a very interesting phrase a couple of times yeah. and I want to know what it is. So, category fraud.
1: Yeah, so it's not something I'm necessarily saying I believe wholeheartedly in but it's a case of you mentioned Paul Dano earlier should he have gone for lead Rooney Mara, you know she is the heart and soul of Carol. It may be called Carol but she's not supporting in that film in any, in any way or form. Yes. But it's a case of you know, are, are they going to get are they going to get the votes if they're pushed for that category instead? So... But okay. it sometimes leads in a split of the votes, so you never know what's going to happen and if Harvey Weinstein may actually get, you know, messed over by the voters. But
2: The Jemison Empire Awards introducing a whole load of new categories, a swathe of new categories this year. If you could introduce one new category to the Oscars, what would it be? Best Doof Warrior.
3: Best Chappie. Oh,
0: Chappie yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wouldn't even win
2: that. If, uh, if,
0: oh. if what I've heard is true, Liam Lees movie, be a shoo-in for that one.
1: <laughs> I have two that I'd like to see put forward uh best stunt ensemble for sure mm-hmm. um because i mean these guys risk their lives every day and i think that's something that people are really aware of now uh, that would be uh if- that would be
3: man on stilt number four from <laughs> <Fury> Road, or,
1: <laughs> or, <laughs> i mean ensemble maybe might oh, be a better right, way of doing team. it yeah and then also um i know it said a lot but best vocal performance just because i think we've got to the point now where there's a lot of animation that makes you really sad for good reasons because the people behind it are superb
0: so, anti-circus every year, basically. Is that, is that?
1: Oh, I meant more like sort of your inside outs and that ah. kind of thing. I mean, that's a whole other thing. <coughs> that I think needs to be addressed. Mo cap, um, maybe, maybe best mo cap performance. I don't know.
0: I want to go over two more categories very, very quickly. Cinematography, which seems to be Emmanuel Lubezki's uh, to lose for his third in a row, but Robert Richardson, Ed Lachman, John Seale. Uh, Matt Max Free Road astonishing cinematography and The Deeks Roger Deakins give it has- to The Deeks for, for goodness sakes give it to The Deeks I was just watching uh, I was having a look at
3: the Sicario Blu-ray and there's a great ex, uh, sort of extra feature on there where they kind of go through how they shot some of the scenes and it's amazing you kind of take a film like that for granted a little bit but even the, even the, sh- the scenes which aren't that flashy there's a scene where they had to design the SWAT car that Emily Blunt was in especially mm-hmm. they had to build a huge version of it so they could sweep a light beam across mm-hmm. her face for one shot. And it's that kind of attention to detail that just kind of blows your mind. They don't just turn yeah. up with a camera and go, well, right, where well, we going put
0: this? All right, so that's the Oscar nominations uh, sorted out. We will be having an Oscar special, obviously, around the time of the Oscars. But let's talk about some other movie news that happened this week. Uh, Juan Antonio bayona he is no longer directing World War Said 2. And Yes, I said said. How does that make you feel? Sad.
1: Meh. What? Sad, sad, but uh, happy, less Happy, sad happy
3: because apparently he is not doing it so that he can do Jurassic World 2. Um, starring myself, possibly, <laughs> <laughs> as Edmund. I'm presuming I'll be called back. Yes, Jurassic uh, World Origins Edmund. Be wait, 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 wait. Schedules allowing. Schedules allowing, mm-hmm. precisely. Depends whether I'm going to Greg's uh, or not. Um, but yeah, so if that happens, I'm
0: excited. But I, he's been working on World War Z2 or World War... Yes, know, Whatever the, the plan was... That what uh, were said too would have been out this sum- this summer. This being twenty sixteen, but it kept being pushed back. So he would have had two movies out this year. So once he had finished shooting, A Monster Calls, then he would have started going into prep and shooting what were said, and then edited both movies together. Like a starring manic. Brad Pitt as Jerry again. Jerry Lane would have returned, mm-hmm. uh, Hopefully to meet someone called Rupert Street. That <laughs> would be his uh, arch nemesis.
3: Whereas the. World War Z or Z, uh, the original was unexpectedly good. I think we weren't expecting it to be as good as it was, in my opinion, anyway. Yes. Um, I, it feels a little bit like the window has passed and people have kind of forgotten about it a little bit and doesn't feel like anyone's really waiting for another one. Is that first You second? could say that, but then the first one was, was released in a mire of bad
2: word of mouth, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, it still did really well, so I don't know how yeah. put off they'd be by that. It could
0: be that people just love a Brad Pitt zombie movie. Yeah. So maybe you feel that, maybe they feel that just. You know, if they just made a movie conventionally and they didn't fire anyone or have massive problems, then they won't be interested. Possibly.
2: Well, I mean, The Walking Dead has gone on and on and on and on and on and and it's super, super super popular. So I guess they take some comfort from the fact that there's an audience for that sort of proposition.
0: Other news, Rand Coogler, director of Creed, uh, will direct Black Panther for Marvel due 2018. Yay? Yay. 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 (laughs) <laughs> okay, good. Excellent. It's like some kind of medieval town assembly. Yeah. I'm happy about that. Um Jamie Foxx will play Little John in Robin Hood Colon Origins opposite Taron Edgerton. Yay, nay, sad, happy, how do we feel?
1: Yeah, Jamie Foxx is fun. Mm-hmm. Taron's fun. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the film will be fun.
0: Yes. Well, that's enough movie news, because we talked about the Oscars for about a million years. Uh, Time now for our second guest. We have a second guest. Let's have a second guest. Uh, He is the director of Amoris Peros, Birdman, the Oscar-winning Birdman, and now the Oscar-nominated The Revenant. He is, of course, the brilliant Alejandro G. Inaritu, and he came into London just before Christmas. And once again, Phil, after lying down in the puddle for two hours, felt (laughs) that he was sufficiently prepped to go and speak to him.
2: Enjoy. Very pleased to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Alejandro González Inaritu. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much to you. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I I guess a broad question to start with. I just wondered, really, you've made um, Amoris Perros, Babel beautiful, Um, of course, Birdman as well. Those first three were kind of a a sort of informal triptych of films about death. Mm -hmm. I wonder where you pitched The Revenant. How does The Revenant fit into your filmography as a whole? I will say that there is
5: a constant theme in my films that is the filial relation, father and son relation, and and that's something constant that I don't know. It's always come to me as I am developing, writing a script. This just something that come, and I I can see that as the main element that conform my work. You know, so I think uh, at the heart of the revenant, beside being a survival adventure story and uh, it, at the, the heart of it is the relation of Hugh Glass and his son which is a mixed race kid and he's trying to protect and survive in such a tough journey so I think that I can I can identify that you know.
2: Leonardo DiCaprio is a spectacular in the, in the role of Hugh Glass I, I wonder what it was specifically about him because I know he's been in your mind for that role from the from the get-go which was a, a number of years ago yeah,
5: I think it's. Um, it has been always my um, desire to work with him. I, I'm a big fan of Leo since his first film. I thought that he was incredible.
2: Have you been following him for that long? Yeah,
5: you know I I love what eating Gilbert Grape for example, and he was I think 15 years old or something like that. So, yes, I I think that he he's uh, he's a wonderful actor and uh, for this film was the perfect choice he was very excited and very in a way committed to it by many reasons and it was a perfect you know project for us to work together and I'm so thrilled to have done it because he he did uh, one of the most amazing jobs uh, works that I have done and and see be witness Mm. of his of his magic work and, (laughs) and that he is getting recognized make me very happy
2: it, it 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 was something that predated Birdman, this this project, and a lot, a lot of things happen that way in Hollywood. Something comes up, and then I believe Leo had to go off and do the Wolf of Wall Street, a and sad. then you couldn't have done it with anyone except him. I take it.
5: Yes, yes, I think what's something that it was, you know, we were cooking together, and um, and thankfully that he got that thing, I got my thing of Birdman, I you know, and uh, and then I think we did the film when it actually has to
2: happen, you know. Right. Um. The other, let's talk about some of the other cast members. You've come over to the British, British Isles, not just Britain, obviously, because Donald Gleeson is, is Irish, of course, but you've got Will Poulter and Tom Hardy on the cast as well. Is that just happenstance that you found a lot of your key cast members over here, or is there something that, that actors from sort of trained over here bring to, brought to this film for you?
5: Yeah, well, I think that uh, UK actors are cheaper than Americans. Nah. <laughs> it was a budget reason. No, no. I I, I love uh, uh, most British actors. Uh, there's something about me loving British actors. There's a, there's a great tradition of acting here. There's something very powerful and convincing. And and honestly, you know, uh, uh, yeah, at that time in United States, there were full of Irish and a lot of uh, English people and people from all around the world. So it was a great opportunity, not only to be truthful for that but to work with um, Tom Hardy uh, it was one of my goals and privilege to have done it and uh, he's he's one of his kind of him he's one of the most you know he's sharp as hell he's just so good and 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 Donnell and 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 Will Poulter they couldn't be better So I mean it I, I have honestly the privilege to count with the best actors in the world now that I like their work and it was uh, it was a, a great experience, you know.
2: I wondered a uh, famously uh, incredibly arduous and difficult shoot, which you've talked about at length before. Um, I wondered if you had if you were looking for certain qualities in the actors uh, aside from just their acting.
5: Yeah, I think that the, the intelligence. You know, when you met Tom Hardy, you can feel that the guy has an, uh, a very profound emotional baggage, an interior life that is very complex and deep, and. Uh, a generosity and uh, full of contradictions of, as always great human beings and, and obviously the craft that he has you know he he's not a he's not improvising he's a very 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 craft as a craftsman guy and leo or Donald or will the same i think all of them in a way i always f- i'm fixed in in in, in the what is be what is behind the eyes of the actors beyond the craft? It's is again it's about the interior life and the depth that you felt because that will be the tools of their of their game. You know what I mean? If you don't have a, a, a something to say as a person, no matter how craft you are, it yeah. will be empty. So this is people that are full of uh, fully live intellectual kind of things that are really interesting to play with, and they they found their way so that, That's basic for me. I was wondering if you if you were looking for a bit of bear grills as well. I think some of them were, you know, some of them not all <laughs> brave enough, you know. and all of them really endure a lot of, you know, physical challenging. You know, we were under really rough conditions and it, it, you know, the experience was it was not enjoyable, but it was definitely uh rewarding. Uh, Once you finish and accomplish and and solve so many problems and endurance, Mm. you have resilience to go to so long time in so big altitudes and low temperatures and challenging demanding of things and uncomfortable conditions every single day for so many months. You know, when you endure that and survive it and do it right, there's a very fulfilling, vast kind of emotion that that really worth it. You know, and then all of them became very. It was a
2: camaraderie that that I I felt very proud about it. How would uh, riggan from Birdman have coped on the side of this movie? <laughs> well, I, I was like
5: asking myself, what do what I fucking do in this shitty hole? <laughs> you know, what I'm doing in this shitty landscape? You know that was the question of my Birdman in that moment. I was not in. in I was not in underwear. I was in a good jacket. <laughs> okay. No matter what the question was,
2: the same. How do we arrive here? You know. Yeah, J- shooting the film in sequence is is something that directors rarely do for for reasons that it's really painful. <laughs> logistically. I, no, well, it's,
5: logistically, yes, yes. What? But it's
2: it's super nice to shoot
5: it sequentially because the actors are completely informed and they don't have to be putting pieces together of the puzzle of how this guy will be two months after or you know it's a much more easy way to do it not for production but yes in the creative side it's is the right way to do so
2: it so that was for the actors that
5: decision but for the actors yeah. and for me more than for the actors for both so for the creative process is always much more Is there's a huge impact in the benefit of it now it's a huge impact for the you know budget and pain of the production logistics But that has to serve the other, no? Uh, I think that that the the reason of a film is to be, uh, the the, the creative merits of a film should be the ones that the film is judged, not by how easy you produce it, you know, how cheap you made it. That's a good thing, too. I'm not criticizing, but that's not the real merit of a film. The film is how good it can be. So everything that is subordinate to that should be subordinate yes. to that, if possible, Yes. smartly and not irresponsibly, but smartly. But if it's possible, then that's a good investment. You know? Yes, instead of an in special
2: effects, I will say. Right. And um, tell me about the opening, the opening battle sequence because it's an astonishing piece of cinema, and it has a shot in it that we, we were sort of grappling for a way of describing it, almost a sort of pass the parcel where it goes from one. One moment to another via, via the characters, did you and, and Chivu have a Chivu Lebesky your, your DP have a specific name for that for that for that shot?
5: Well, it was uh, the, 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 the Arikara attack you know and you know in that sequence which is the, fir- the first threat uh, that they receive, um, I want to uh, most importantly thing was to get the people in the shoes. And the point of view to experience sensorially the point of view of each of the main characters first starting with Leo and then I shift the point of view to the to the Arikara chef El Dog and then I shifted to Tom Hardy Fitzgerald role and then I shifted to basically a an historical point of view and then basically all the trappers get into the boat and then I landed in the point of view of the Native American people after Mad the battle, so for me it was how I introduce the main characters here, and um, in a in a spectacular and, and unique uh, way that people have experienced any any attack like this um, in a long take that submerging in a three sixty degree emotional sensorial you know epic kind of a scale of attack, so. It was a very ambitious and challenging scene to accomplish, but um, I'm very happy about it. I think that people will experience something extraordinarily cinematic that that's how or why the film screens were invented, you know? I think that's exactly the reason why this film should never be seen in an iPad or an iPhone because it will be a crime. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I think so. It's like you go to a museum and you see a huge painting, you know, by Goya or by one of the Velasquez or yeah. Caravaggio. And then somebody's, you know, you haven't gone there, and then you buy the postcard of Caravaggio. And you see a postcard and say, oh, this is beautiful. But to see a postcard is not to contemplate the, the frame that is maybe four meter long and... Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's not that's not the painting. It's a postcard. So if right. you see this film in an iPad or in a TV, it's
2: a postcard. Okay. It's not the film. You spoke to Werner Herzog before before the film about the conditions that you were going to experience. I wondered, has he seen the film? I don't know. I haven't
5: talked to him. I hope that he sees it. I don't know if he will like it, but I'm very curious to see what he thinks. Did you, so did you call him up specifically to ask? You know, I have known Werner for a couple of years now, and he's a great person and beautiful filmmaker that I admire a lot and once in Telluride I think we were and I asked him you know that I was doing this film what he thinks about the weather and you know he said that there was no bad weather only bad clothes and <laughs>
2: really a, and a bad state of mind you know? right did you because of course he made Grizzly Man I wondered if he had any if he had any conversations about the bear yeah you
5: know, yeah I asked him what he had heard in those headphones and Ooh. he didn't want to tell me but he kind of explained me what he heard and it, it's horrible so um, yeah, I, you know, to make that bear scene that I did, I, I really did my research in every level, and uh, it's exactly how it happened.
2: You you, you traveled back um, to to the Oscars whilst you're in the middle of making this film, which mm-hmm. must have been a very strange and dislocating experience. Do you have any vivid memories of that night, or is it all a bit of a blur? Do you no, still-
5: I have a great time. I I really enjoy it with my family and my friend and my brother. I, I really. That it was a very, I was very present that night because it was meaningful to celebrate with the beautiful cast and and my family. Was, I mean, it was a yeah. It, it, in a way, when you go to the stage, it's kind of blurry and it's kind of very uncomfortable to suddenly speak to so many people, and you know, it's, 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 it's kind of shocking in that sense because not what I that's not what I do, you know. But you have to do it no matter what. Mm. So And you have to think in so many people and thank so many people. And you will like to speak and thank so many people that with this short amount of time that is nerve-wracking. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, uh, But but no, I think uh, I leave it very healthy because I was shooting the film in Calgary. And I returned the next day to keep shooting and didn't allow me to be kind of thinking or masturbating myself with awards you know what I mean I was just literally submerging my work yes, and, uh, and yes. that was very healthy for the ego
2: you know? Yes, yeah, sure you, you made a joke about how you were wearing uh, Michael Keaton's mm-hmm. Tidy Whities to the Oscars <laughs> as a good luck charm Will you be wearing a Leo's bearskin skin if, if, the, if the chance arises I will be much more sexy This year I guess <laughs> If I do that um, And just lastly do you Is it too early To talk about What's next for you Or are you going to Just take a bit of a break No
5: I will disappear From planet earth Very very long Kind of years Because I'm, I'm exhausted And normally I take You know Two three years To make a film So you know, for me I think it will be The natural Kind of ordinary You know pause that i need to do to just to to get back to my ordinary life and you know catch up with a lot of shit that i need to in the personal level and and uh, just live life which i like it much more than cinema so my life is more richer more interesting in some ways and i can't wait to return to that and enjoy it
2: a little bit alejandro inarito thank you so much for joining us thank you very much
0: phil how was alejandro g inarito good Great. So let's talk about, <laughs> it's not a Western, but it is The Revenant. It is the story of Hugh Glass, a real-life fur trapper who was left for dead after a vicious combination of Burr and Tom Hardy attack. <laughs> he is played, of course, by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, who is long overdue the Oscar, uh, they tell me. So, what do we think of this movie? I've already given it away. We give it five stars. But what do we think of this movie? Nick, you wrote The Empire Review.
3: Yeah, I mean it's based on fact, but very hazily based on fact because it's much more of a kind of a folk story than historically accurate. And there's there's lots of different versions of um, of what went down when Hugh Glass went into the woods and uh, came back a bit bit battered. Uh, there was a 1971 movie um, which uh, tells this same story, but not. Nearly as well, I don't think as this. You're talking about the Man in the Wilderness, yes. That's Richard Harris. Um, the bear attack scene in that is about as convincing as the one in Hercules in New York, <laughs> in which Arnie fights a bear in Central Park. <laughs> this this movie is on another level. It's The Revenant is uh, is an astonishing piece of filmmaking. I think it's it's so well directed. Uh, it's so epic. It's so ambitious in what it does. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Hugh Glass and he has maybe 12 lines of dialogue or something like that in the, in the whole film. He barely speaks and it's a long film. Uh, but it just grips your attention the entire time. It's, it's so beautifully shot and directed.
0: So this is the shoot from hell, mm. famously. Yep. But uh, one of the reasons why is because they shot up there in uh, Alberta, am I right in thinking? In Calgary, yeah. Cal- uh, really, really cold, really arduous conditions and the film is shot entirely by natural light. So Chivo, Emmanuel Lebeski and uh, Inaritu, they like to push and push and push and push the boundaries of cinematography. So this thing looks absolutely amazing, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. I mean, I keep saying it, but what kind of dark magic do they teach Chivo at DOP school? Because I don't think I've ever seen anything... <laughs> I don't think they teach dark magic. Again, <laughs> I don't do think... That's Hogwarts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, if well ever, but I mean... I don't think I've ever seen anything so beautifully shot. Everything from, like, the individual embers to... Let's be honest, like they're quite Malikian interludes. Um and there's this you know, this gloriously unconventional camera work, everything just sort of comes together and it's really overwhelming. Mm. Um I've seen some people sort of saying that it's it is filmmaking, it's barely a film. Like I do I do get that to an extent, but you know, the loca- the location scouts alone need to get something like a, well, their own individual island because <clears throat> their work's phenomenal. I think they were Before
2: actually location scouting every day. They would get up and go out because the landscape was changing so quickly you know yeah. continuity was obviously a bit of a problem and um, to find the snow to find the right spots so the day would start with an extra they would be doing pre-production every morning before they started shooting as uh Inuritu says in the interview they shot this film chronologically mm-hmm. which is very very unusual so that's an extra level of of hardship and endurance on top of it but it, from his point of view it makes it easier for the actors to you know understand where they're at and their particular sort of character arcs or their journeys Mm. physical journey in the case of DiCaprio but I think all of that talk about the shoot and the bear issues that that kind of got into social media the, the, the criticism that the films have for being a bit sort of portentous and bombastic in its kind of in its themes I think is kind of neither here nor there it's just an amazing cinematic experience what what Lubitsky does with the uh, camera is astonishing Inerucci's ambition the, the performances are all very very good and uh, they've been trying to make this one for a long time so to reduce it to Oscar bait I think is is, is unfair um, especially in DiCaprio's case he sacrificed quite a lot of you know physical comfort to try and get Get the essence of of what it's like to have to survive in difficult conditions, and I think it conveys it really, really well. You know, this drive to just survive is fantastic. I mean, it reminds reminded me an awful lot of of Herzog, who I know that was a, was a bit of a reference point. Um, but yeah, there's that kind of if you enjoyed though, you enjoy those sorts of outdoor Malick as well. It's got a lot yeah. of that. Um, it's a really beautiful film. I really loved it.
3: Yeah, and I mean the bear sequence. I think is one of the one of the best ones that 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 you'll have seen in the last year or so, or maybe you know the last decade. I think it's it's, it's an incredible sequence.
0: A, a sequence, as in the best sequence or the best bear attacking Leonardo DiCaprio sequence. Uh, it's in the top one of those, but it's it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing uh, sequence.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you think it was a beautiful film, or did you find it grim?
0: I'm not on the five star page. I thought it was an exceptional piece of filmmaking. Completely, I can see why Nick uh, gave it five stars, and I can see why you love it. I I just thought it was very slight for me. It's a you know, and it's it's a really simple tale. It's a tale of vengeance. Yeah, One man is left for dead by another man, but because it's um, in Naruto, there are mystical and mythical overlays, and I think we are just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, and they're just to, for me, anyway. But I, I, I also, I, I have a slight, you know, I think DiCaprio was very, very good in this movie. But he does essentially lie down in the ditch for two hours, I, and I'm not entirely. I can sure, see how some
3: people, I, I can see how, I, yeah, I can see how you would think that it is very simple. But for me, yeah. that that was what kind of made it work. Is it doesn't? It is a very, very simple story. It's just this guy who is left for dead, and he comes back yeah. against all the odds, and that's pretty much what it is. Especially the second half of the movie, it's just yeah. that drive to get back to civilization. Yeah. And
0: um, I, I thought that was why it worked. It's a very good example of being, uh, of, you know, uh, of an actor actually putting him through himself, through, apart from the, the bear, which is CG, at least I hope. Otherwise, that's the best trained bear in the history of movies. You know, he's, he obviously puts himself through all that hardship and cold and, you know, there are claims that he actually did eat a raw liver, all that sort of stuff. But I'm not sure there's much of a character there. Uh, and he will win the Oscar, I'm, I'm pretty sure but I, I think he's more deserving he's been more deserving than in the past uh, with, with an actual performance and an actual character but
3: I, yeah I mean I, I would say they keep that character very slim because he's this mythic character anyway and they they, they want to kind of make you as a viewer put yourself in his shoes and kind of do that journey with him and I think that's mm. why there's so little information that's why he has so few lines of dialogue mm. so that you can basically watch it and he's an avatar for yourself but he, as he goes through all these different situations. But I didn't think that was a weakness. But I agree, it's a very kind of slim, for such a long film, it's a very kind of slim premise and mm. doesn't have all these subplots and stuff. But I loved it.
1: What I love is that Leo's last two roles, are both so, so insanely physical, but so different. So you've got, obviously, the Revenant is physical on a, like, almost a restrained level because, you know, for reasons I won't go into, he can't necessarily move, blah, blah, blah. But then the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, you know, one of my favourite scenes that he's ever done after being on the Quaaludes and he's got that scene with a car and I think it's almost like you didn't realise that he had that sort of element to him and I kept thinking that throughout the film I was like, these are his two most physical roles but they could not be more different
3: This feels almost like he's atoning for all the debauchery that he, <laughs> yeah, that he got up yeah, to yeah, in Wolf of Wall Street so. he's like, right, well i got got to get this out of my system Yeah, go to the woods, have a horrible time
1: I mean, it's, it's by no means an easy watch and... It's genuinely disturbing and upsetting but um, a few bits of CGI aside I genuinely did believe every single bit um, and I had a raging headache by the end and that's what I want from a film so I'm glad.
0: Yeah, don't get me wrong on this movie because this, this binary world we live in these days where apparently film criticism is either film is good or film is bad or film is best thing ever or film is worst thing ever that's not where I'm going it's an exceptional piece of film there are moments in this film that left me awestruck mm-hmm. the cinematography is astonishing I, I started watching this movie and I, within the first three minutes I thought well sorry Deeks <laughs> but it's over the game's over mate uh, you know, Chivo's got it in the bag uh, and DiCaprio is fantastic but I don't necessarily think it's the best performance of the five who are up for best actor this year but listen, we'll get into mm-hmm. another point but it is an, an exceptional piece of filmmaking do I prefer... The dialogue driven pleasures of Tarantino's Hateful Eight, if we're comparing you know, comparing these things two side by side. Yes, I do. But I could see absolutely why you went five stars with this. Yeah. I could see absolutely why people are saying masterpiece. I don't agree with it, but there you go. It's very
3: I mean, to compare those two films is very interesting that Hateful Eight is a very kind of nihilistic, dark, cynical film. Whereas this feels I mean, life affirming is a is a cheesy kind of phrase, but as grim and violent as the Revenant is, it's ultimately kind of about hope and Survival and all those kind of things. So, uh,
0: five stars for The Revenant, uh, which is a fantastic film, and uh, you know, give yourself, give your eyeballs a treat and go and see it. Next up is Creed, uh, which garnered a Sylvester Stallone an Oscar nomination today. Um, it is the return, obviously, of Rocky Balboa, some years after we last saw him in Rocky Balboa, but this one is told from the point of view of another fighter, uh, Adonis Creed played by Michael B. Jordan. The film is directed by Ryan Coogler, who is a Rocky fan, who really loved... We tried to get uh, Coogler on the podcast this week, just couldn't make it happen, which is a bit of a shame. But there's a big feature in in the uh, most recent issue of Empire Magazine where he talks about his love of Rocky. And I feel that's really infused. So Adonis Creed is the the son of Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers, uh, the the great character from the first four Rocky movies, uh, Rocky's opponent and then friend, uh, moves to Philadelphia to try and prove himself as a fighter and hooks up with Rocky Balboa and lists him as his trainer. And things start to happen.
2: This is, I guess, a big surprise, this movie. Um, people have fallen in love with it uh, in a way that only occasionally you, you, you find that they can kind of connect with it and reconnect with it emotionally. I don't think anyone expected this film to be quite as good as it turned out. Um, the Rocky franchise seemed like it was listing heavily, if not dead in the water. Um, And it's revitalised Stallone, certainly, and um, it's a great showcase for Michael B. Jordan's talents. Um, He and Ryan Coogler, of course, combined on Fruitvale Station, which is a very different sort of movie, a bit more serious-minded, perhaps, but um, they're both on the up and up. Michael B. Jordan's very, very charismatic in the role of Adonis. Um, It starts with him, uh, kind of, with with his, I guess, his stepmother, or at least... Apollo Creed's wife, who's not his mum, so he's come kind of not, not not those kind of like broken home cliches, um, but he certainly come from a difficult, uh, difficult back, background, um, and he and he channels all of that into his boxing, um, and the boxing when it comes is fantastic. He's got you know real, real sort of phys- embodies the physicality of uh, of the fight game, um, should we say? I also really enjoyed just the 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 kind of setup of of the main bout, which it all leads up to. Kugler hired an uh, an actual boxer to play the role. can't remember the name of the fighter. I'm going to say Piston Honda. as a placeholder until I can think of him. Um, But he's an English fighter. Tony Ballou. Thank you very much. Piston Honda. Piston Honda would be a much better fighting name. (laughs) Not Piston Honda. And... I, it's just a lot of fun, this film. I mean, it, it does that thing of, I mean, you can probably elaborate on this a little bit, um, because you talked about it in the magazine, but it kind of does that thing of touching on, touching on stuff that you love about the, the originals, uh, mm-hmm. originals, not just Rocky, but it, I think it references the sequels as well, but it does it in a really lovely way. So, you know, when he's running with the kids, the kids are kind of following him on bikes and, and it's got the same kind of the same kind of air punch moments as the as
0: the Rockies, but it, it wears them pretty lightly. It's yeah, it is weird this film because it's one of those movies, like a bit like Jurassic World and a bit like The Force Awakens, where you could take this movie and you could almost overlay it over the original film, and it would hit pretty much all the same beats along the way. But I think unlike, and I really like uh, Jurassic World, and I, I, you know, as I've said before, there's a lot no, there's a lot I like about The Force Awakens as well. But this movie hit me in a sweet spot. I cannot really explain it. I gave it four stars for the magazine, but it's a film that that has grown for me uh, ever since. I'm a huge Rocky fan. I love the franchise. I love the character. But this movie has a different point of view. And it feels new and fresh in a way that perhaps... Some people might think Jurassic World and The Force Awakens didn't, where they felt more like tribute acts and karaoke. Hmm. This feels like it's got its own point of view and something. So, you know, Rocky, obviously the first Rocky was was not directed by Stallone, but it was written by him, and it was very much his experience and his viewpoint as a young Italian-American guy really struggling to make it in a big city. And, you know, acting was bypassing him, and he just wasn't getting it off the ground. And this one, Creed, feels like it's been told from the point of view of a young African-American guy I- immersed in that community in Philadelphia. Uh, and it, it just feels so utterly authentic to me. While at the same time, having this great nod to this wonderful character uh, that, that Stallone has crafted over the years. The interesting thing about this movie is that Stallone, yes, he was a producer and yes, obviously he's uh, he's a co-star, but he didn't write it. Now, whether that, you know, whether he gave the script an unpolished uh, rewrite, I don't know. But what's intriguing is how well Ryan Coogler, who is a phenomenal director, Fruitvale Station is great. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, that was his first movie. This movie is his second movie. Black Panther may be his third. Um, although there has been talk of a, of another Creed movie, um, he he handles this so well, and he handles his character so well. But also, what he does is he he uh, gives Rocky his head, but he also gives Donnie, Adonis Creed, Michael B. Jordan, who is a force of nature, an incredibly charismatic, an incredible actor. Uh, He gives this character who has foibles and, uh, you know, he he is human and he is pumped up with pride and hubris. It really gives him a platform as well. It's his movie. But every time Rocky is in it, you can feel that emotional gut punch uh, coming. It's just—it's one of those things I'm fascinated by. The idea of watching characters over decades on a cinema screen, and this is one of the the, the best examples I can think of. Uh, it, this movie just feels right to me. Everything about this movie feels right to me. There are some some missteps now and again, but it, it, this is such a such a crowd pleasing film for me. And for me, my favorite episode seven of the last year. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hobbs is very
2: displeased with you
0: (laughs) 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 he's coming for you yeah, subtweet but yeah, four stars for Creed what did you think Emma?
1: I had a slightly different experience with it Um, I wasn't sure how much I was loving it when I saw it I didn't think the clash of um, Kugler's indie tones and the Rocky Beats necessarily sat very well but in those final moments well, a bit earlier than that I just saw it all come together and like you said, like Chris just said it really did hit that sweet spot Um, I think it's an Absolutely incredible feat! What Kugler's has done here, and um, he manages to keep the intimacies of his previous work, uh, you know, whilst ensuring that Rocky fans are kept happy and that new fans are swept up in Stallone's legacy. I think it's a beautiful thing, really, and hopefully yeah. we'll, it'll end with Stallone up on the um, on the podium. That'd be lovely. That actor.
0: Four actor for stars for for Creed, and the last film to talk about the last Oscar nominated film is what a treat this week! Three no. Oscar nominated movies uh, in one week. Uh, thank you, delayed UK release pattern um, is Room.
1: Um, Yeah, so rooms based on Emma Donoghue's book, which everyone was reading a few years back, um, a young mother and her son whose entire world is in this one room. um, It's a room full of so so much possibility and happiness for little Jack, but let's just say that it's an entirely different space to his mother. Um, And I honestly believe that to say too much more would be to say too much
0: unless you've seen the trailer
1: <laughs> but I was about to say yeah <laughs> there's a lot more shown in my trailers and on the posters if you're looking for it on the posters but yeah. Going in Cold which I did makes such a difference um, it's such an intense experience and to use that cliched life-affirming term it is an incredibly life-affirming film it's, it's also a very sad film I'd say soul-destroying at points but it has this amazing balance which you know thankfully Abrahamson's been you know um, nominated today but Brie Larson puts in the most astonishing performance. Her, she plays the mother to little Jack, who's played by Jacob Trombley, who is this tiny, tiny ball of fire. He's honestly one of the best on-screen performances from a child I've ever seen. And where he will go in his future is really, really interesting. It's arguably a book that is impossible to adapt and I think what they've done with it is really, really interesting. But it's hard to talk about it too much because there is so much to spoil. Sure. And I'm sure most of you have seen the trailers, the TV spots. But I cannot recommend this film enough. I don't know what to say because I don't want to say anything. No, I know what you
3: mean. <laughs> Do know you know what I mean. What I mean? Yeah. Help
1: me, help me, Nick.
3: No, I concur. I mean, it's, it is a tricky one to talk about if you don't want to give away some of the some of the kind of the twists and turns. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a film of two halves. I think you can say that. Yeah. And, and actually, I, I had not read the book, and I, so I had no idea really what was coming apart so. from the basic premise. And, and the second half of the film. Um, which I wasn't expecting at all. I found very moving, yeah. and it's just—it's a, a very interesting film about trauma and about how people react to that, and and also the relationship between a mother and a son. And it's just—it—it it kind of sucks you in, yeah. And actually, I, the time flew by when I was watching it. Absolutely, I was very absorbed.
1: And it's sort of like an unconventional fairy tale of sorts, isn't it? It's yeah. seen through this tiny boy's eyes, and it's—it's it's just fascinating to get into his mindset. And you know, if it were to be shown through. Larson's eyes, it would be a completely different film. So I think Abrahamson's done an unbelievable job with it. And although I don't want to go back and watch it again, in a way, you, you will be wanting to watch it again. You will want to revisit it. It's that accessible and it's just so peacefully handled.
0: Yeah, very difficult film to talk about. Do not watch the trailers before you've seen it, uh, but a very, very good film and delighted to see this getting lots of Oscar love as well. Uh, so four stars for Room. Uh, cracking week. Five, four, four. Yeah, and I can't even say I'd go five for Creed because I gave it four, but for the magazine, but kind of in personally as a, it's a kind of weird thing. Personally, as a Rocky fan, I would give a five, but as a you know, trying to be objective, give a four. Mm-hmm. There you go. How about that? Are you happy with that? Okay, yeah. brilliant. Um, all right, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more formulated fun. We'll be joined by another Oscar nominee. Amazing, they're lining up at the moment. Uh, Adam McKay, uh, director of The Big Short. Uh, so that's going to be very, very, very fun, uh, and the guy who got me 10 quid from Nick to then there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Always bet on the man who created Ron Burgundy. That's what I say. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. Uh, it's goodbye from Emma. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to watch Die Hard wearing a suit by John Phillips, London. Rumour has it, Arafat buys his there. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.